my seat. Grabs my coochie. My camera peeing behind the building. I'm cheating. I'm literally toasting. Let me spare you. Guys, I'm gonna be drafted into war. with another episode. Welcome to 9pm Curfew Podcast. I am Success Wen, the host, and if you're unfamiliar, 9pm Curfew is the nosiest podcast. We share stories and adventures. Guys, it's so great to be back. I know last week I didn't post any new episodes, sadly, because of finals and exam season, and I'm so glad that we are moving past that into the next semester of college and into, like, Christmas break. And so it's really easy for me to, like, edit and post new episodes and catch up with you guys, you know? So everyone who's missed me, I've missed you. Please check out our Instagram. I'm way more active and we can have like, you know, conversations or you can email me. But anyway, let's get into the meat for this episode. Okay, so for this episode, I had the opportunity of sitting with the creator of Sober Dogs, which you can find them on Sober Dogs on YouTube or just Google Sober Dogs, Kyle Ruggery, who is a recovering drug addict and alcoholic. He talks about his trials and tribulations, how he went to prison, the drug use, and his path to recovery. It was just so inspiring, and you can find more of his stuff on YouTube. But Honestly, just sitting with him and getting a whole new perspective on drug use was amazing because I feel like as a 19-year-old young adult, people kind of shame people who are, you know, the drug use era or even the conversation around drug use. So it was really cool to sit down and talk to these talk about these things and share that kind of information that's vital to people who might be struggling and it could easily take away the shame that surrounds that. Also, it was really interesting just hearing the stories and like those strange interactions and how different drugs affect the body. Differently, It was really cool and I really, really loved this conversation with Kyle. So I hope you enjoy it and let's get into it. Okay, so you, you're telling me about Sober Dogs. Can you just reiterate that for me? Yeah, I, um, I actually got out of prison and I'm in recovery from uh, drugs and alcohol. And I would see, uh, you know, friends at the store, uh, their family specifically, and I'd ask how Bobby or someone's doing and they'd say, oh, he's great, married, kids, blah, blah, blah. How are you? And on the inside, I'm dying. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm a week sober. I just got out of jail. I live with my parents. I don't have a job, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to lie to them. So, you know, I was like, let me just share everything and get it out there. And uh, mm-hmm. started with that. And the name Sober Dogs, I'm a huge animal lover. I love dogs. <laughs> when did sure. you get involved with the drugs? Like, how did that happen? Was it like peer pressure or, you know? Yeah, you could definitely uh, say peer pressure was a part of it. It Nothing crazy. You know, I had a great childhood. It was just... 12, 13 years old. And, uh, you know, I was uh, actually on vacation, alcohol was available. And I remember mm-hmm. being anxious, you know, hanging out with, you know, it was me and a friend of mine, and we were hanging out with some girls that are our age. And <laughs> everything was just, you know, kids, anxiety, <laughs> yeah, we we're flirting. And the yeah. next night we got beer. And then mm-hmm. it was like, whoa, I feel better. <laughs> I feel calmer. I know why mm-hmm. adults have their glass of wine. Mm-hmm. And um, it wasn't like, you know, right from the bad, anything crazy happened, but that the seed was planted of, wow. Okay. If alcohol does this, then two years later, when cocaine was, you know, introduced, Mm -hmm. let me try that. And and Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Yeah. Wait, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Cause you said you lived in New York. So like, how did, how does your surroundings like influence you? 
Yeah, I'm in I'm in Rochester, New York. So a lot of people who are a lot of people aren't from New York. As soon as they hear New York, they're like, oh, how's the city? Well, I'm yeah. like six hours away from the city, you know, way Whoa. up in northern New York. But uh, mm-hmm. Rochester's not a tiny town either. It's um, mm-hmm. you know, a f- population similar to a little bit smaller than, you know, a, a Cleveland or something. Okay. And, um, yeah, it's not tiny by any means. Uh, I mean, it's not as big as Cleveland, but it's top 100 biggest in the country. Definitely bigger and, than where I'm from. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm from South Dakota, by the way. So oh, definitely wow. bigger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I mean, I had a great childhood. My, mm-hmm. my physical surroundings did not influence drug drugs and alcohol use as mm-hmm. far as like trauma or you know um parental divorce and things like mm-hmm. that yeah great parents extremely supportive it was more mental stuff in my oh. head that was like when the opportunity came and then yes there was surrounding with mm-hmm. not the best people at yeah those ages but I didn't know any better I was a lot of quote cool, you know a lot of jocks football players and we just partied hard yeah so Mm -hmm. you know and it just kind of expanded from there and I happened to find five or six of those guys that drank and did other stuff like I did so Mm -hmm. on any given night I'd look and be like he's doing this he's doing this I can't be that bad long story short all those guys that were next to me are in some form or another in active addiction or recovery today so Mm -hmm. my comparison is a little (laughs) bit off (laughs) Okay, so um, what drugs have you used, if that's okay asking? Oh, of course. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes <laughs> this is easier going with which ones I haven't. Uh, okay, yeah. I mean, um, you know, so I, I, I get a quick list of the ones, you know, I've done mushrooms, ecstasy, crack, mm-hmm. uh, cocaine in every form, heroin in every form, mm-hmm. every oxy, every Percocet, every opioid, mm-hmm. uh, LSD, um, mm-hmm. Uh, mescaline, PCP. I've tried meth. I don't have a lot of experience with meth, but I have done it. And then mm-hmm. pretty much every pharmaceutical that was, you know, available at whatever time, fentanyl, all that stuff, benzos, K2 spice, um, salvia. There, there'd be one or two <laughs> different ones that'll pop up here or there, but, you know, mm-hmm. a, a lot of them, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> which ones were like the most addictive? Like, which ones should we be like, oh, you know, like, Cause I feel like everyone's like, Oh, heroin's the worst, but it's different for everyone. I think so for yeah. you, what was it? Heroin uh, was incredibly physically addicting. Cause you know, mm-hmm. as I'm sure most people know now see the news, anything eight hours after your last hit, you need mm-hmm. more. You are going oh. into insane withdrawal, um, really? which is, okay. yeah. Like how I explain it to people um, on videos and stuff is, like the worst flu you've ever had times 10 and then add on wow. extreme suicidal thoughts and just, wow. um, but as, as far as, so that's a physical one. Mm-hmm. IV cocaine use and crack yeah. to me are insanely addicting. What's and the I, difference between the two? So I, how I, I always separated it. Snorting cocaine mm-hmm. is like, you know, a lot of people do it at part. Now, I guess not a lot. I don't know what someone's take of a lot is, but it's, <laughs> it's in movies. It's here and there. And it's very yeah. addicting. Sure. But when you jump from that to either crack or injecting cocaine, mm. it is a whole different ball game, even though it's the same oh. drug. Okay. And um, that's proven in science with how much dopamine and stuff is released. But um, mm. it is 
like if you take a hit of crack or or shoot cocaine when i say shoot i mean inject yeah two minutes after you know the high is starting to run down by seven mm-hmm. eight minutes the high is pretty much totally gone that is the most dangerous period that next half hour or so is like you will do anything for another hit. I've never wow. been so low in my life to where, mm-hmm. you know, I remember nights going through my phone book and calling people that I have not talked to in a decade, asking to wow. borrow money at three in the morning. And they're like, what the, are you out of your mind? <laughs> but yeah. like, you just, it, and the more I've, I've looked into it is seeing how it's releasing so much dopamine, like 15 mm-hmm. to 20 times the best orgasm. And then mm-hmm. after you don't go down to baseline, you go way down because oh. your brain's not making it, you know, cause you just flooded it with all the false amounts or outside yeah. dopamine. So cocaine in any, I would put the uppers in that category. So I'd put meth in there too, even though I don't have a lot of experience with it. Mm-hmm. It just is um, wild. The pull to get more after you're done there, it's tunnel vision. Uh-huh. It's crazy. Does it like make your heart pound? Cause I know like with alcohol, it, you're, you're like moving in like slow motion because it's a downer, obviously mm-hmm. when you first took it, what it felt like or. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so to me, it, it's was like, I always called it blast off. Mm-hmm. So I, I did a lot of my use with speedball, which is mixing heroin and cocaine in the same shot. Okay. Um, and the goal of that is to negate the negatives of each, but get the positives. You do too much heroin, you know, you're really out of it. Uh If you do too much Coke, you're through the roof hyper. By mixing them, the goal was I can avoid the come down from the cocaine, Cocaine. but also not be sleeping, you know, Mm -hmm. out. The problem is you never hit the the mark. You always do more or more or more or more. And it's this battle to get to this perfect high that's pretty much uh, unattainable but um mm-hmm. with the cocaine specifically you know i'd say like two to three seconds after you inject it it's the weirdest thing you know you got it when you could taste it and it's weird Ooh. because you put it in your vein yet yeah. you could taste it mm-hmm. um, somehow it comes through the, the the saliva and then your heart beats you know over the next 10 to 12 seconds starts to increase Mm-hmm. I don't know the exact number, eight, yeah. 10 beats per second. And mm-hmm. <laughs> you get really out of breath. <laughs> oh, And then there's uh, extreme audio hallucinations. Oh, I used to turn the, uh, the uh, radio up in my car and mm-hmm. I'd wait till I had a decent song to do my shot. Cause it, it goes, it, it's like in and out. Oh. It, so in a sense, it's like slows down your audio, but physically mm-hmm. everything is ramping up. And that's why okay. it was like blast off. Yeah. 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 And in that, that you get to that for like two minutes, then mm-hmm. it slowly starts to go down and you get very paranoid psychosis can come in at this period. You get stuck. Mm-hmm. Like I'd pull the volume knob off the radio and spend two hours trying to fix it. And oh. then when I realized what I was doing, you know, time for another one if you have yeah. more. But a very, yeah, it's hard to describe. Intense and um, mm-hmm. extremely euphoric, unfortunately, which makes it yeah. incredibly addicting. 
Mm-hmm. Have you seen the show Euphoria? I think that also like no. depicts. I think you should definitely check it out. It depicts. I will. Well, it gives you like an inside look of what drug use is like from like a teen's perspective, but it's also like you know drama and stuff. I definitely oh. think you should check it out because like from on? what you're, it's on. Well, it's on HBO, I think. Okay. But yeah, cool. it's really interesting because like based on what you're saying, I'm like com- drawing comparisons. You know. Yeah. Do absolutely. you have any like um? What was your scariest like? moment like using drugs like how did that feel like do you, can you explain like any stories that really stick out to you yeah um i mean countless people have overdosed either in my vehicle or in in, in the house or wherever i was at mm-hmm. um, you know a specific time i was with a buddy this is before i injected so we went mm-hmm. and bought our stuff and we stopped at a gas station on the way home and i said to him do not I don't want needles in my car. I'm sure you got one in your pocket, but don't do anything. We're five minutes away from home. Mm-hmm. Go into the gas station and uh, come out. And he's just blue oh. needle hanging out of his arm. Done. Mm-hmm. Slapping him, throwing water on him. He's not coming to. Uh, to so it was yeah. a, the third guy with us to, you know, speed to the uh, uh, emergency room. Right mm-hmm. when I pull into the ER, he pops up. Oh. And immediately says, no, no, I don't want any medical help. Take him back to his house. And he was unconscious for 48 hours. Oh. And his brother was knew what was going on. So mm-hmm. was able to check out him. But things like that happened all the time. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I've overdosed a couple of times. Mm-hmm. It's hard to give that much of a description for mm-hmm. yourself because it's yeah. more of like a, a sleep blackout. Oh, okay. Um, but a, a lot of, you know, crime, um, just crazy. I fell off the Baltimore Harbor on New Year's Eve in oh. 2012, 30 feet down, hit my head on the way down. The water's uh-huh. freezing cold ice. Yeah. Um, I'm in a blackout state. I'm, I'm, you know, clothed like suit and tie, I'm getting hypothermia. A friend had to jump in. I'm gushing blood. Mm-hmm. I don't remember any of it. Woke up in the hospital the next day. And just things like that would happen more and more often to where, you know, that's when I look up like somebody is looking out for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Another time we flipped a car because, you know, when you do a lot of heroin, you're not out. Yeah. And uh, I flipped a vehicle. I wasn't driving this time, but Mm -hmm. vehicle flipped with four people inside it and hit a tree. Mm -hmm. Everyone walked away. And it's like, how does this happen? I don't know. But it did. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's more and more of those stories. It's, it's yeah. crazy. Wait, so how did you get on the, br- how did you get on the bridge? Cause you said you fell off. Like what was that? St- like what happened leading up to that point? So if I said bridge, I'm sorry. It was a, a, like a pier, um, the oh, end of a okay. pier. Yeah. It's just uh, like that, like where the bars are on Baltimore, the, the one oh. area it's right there on the water on the Chesapeake. And mm-hmm. um, you know, if you go over to the edge, it's, it's like, the pier. There's no and it's, bridge. There's no like railing. Not at the one part with this oh. like probably 20 foot gap, which mm-hmm. is not right near where people were. So yeah. you kind of have to walk 50, 75 feet away from that generic direction. But mm-hmm. um, that's no, you know what? I've told that story a hundred times. Nobody's ever asked me that question. That is a great question. <laughs> I have no idea why there wasn't a railing, but I, I also don't remember how I fell. I don't know if I mm. jumped. I don't know mm-hmm. if I tripped. tripped. I don't know if I got in a fight. I have no idea because it yeah. was just a blackout state. 
Um, I remember hitting the water and, and finding my blood. And my buddy actually was like, hold, jumped in and was holding me up. And mm-hmm. it was a whole ordeal. Like, you know, they had to get a fire department there. Uh, there was wow. a Coast Guard helicopter. It was just. Wow. You, you would know. think there would be a railing there because that's like a popular <laughs> place for people to be. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I guess, to be honest, there may have been. I, I don't know. No one's ever asked me that. And I, I you're, you're blowing my mind with that because now I'm going to like <laughs> Google Earth it and see what's there and see if I can figure it out because I have no idea. Yeah. And I, I mean, on a different side, one of the other most insane stories that ever, ever happened, I was in this house, which for lack of a better term, was a crack house. Mm-hmm. And um, there was like five or six of us sitting around the table, all in full-blown addiction. Mm-hmm. And um, the lady who lived there gets a phone call from a dealer. And he says, listen, I'm, I got to go out of town on a real short notice. I got like $2,000 mm-hmm. $2, worth of stuff. I'll give it to you for a grand. You know me, you wow. know it's good. So mm-hmm. us six brilliant. And I say that if people who are listening in quotes, because <laughs> yeah. we weren't in any good states of mind, uh, mm-hmm. try to put our heads together to get this money. Cause this is a lifetime, you know, opportunity yeah. a lifetime for addicts. For sure. mm-hmm. The one guy gets up real quietly, just gets up and leaves. And that's not uncommon uh, out of oh. the six people. There's a lot of mental health issues, a ton of addiction. Everyone's inebriated with different stuff. Yeah. Just quietly leaves. Okay. Comes back like four minutes later and he's got like um, a brown small paper bag and he opens mm-hmm. it up and he's got just, just stack of money. I don't know how Whoa. much, three, four grand. I don't know. Yeah. I got it. I got it. Call him. Tell him we got it. Tell him we got it. And he's like mm-hmm. dictating terms at the same time. You guys can have a little, but it's mine. I got the money. <laughs> so yeah. we call the guy. He still got it. So we walk out of the house to get in the, this one guy's uh, SUV to go, go get it. Mm-hmm. We're walking out of the house, you know, one by one, just because it was this little walkway. And as we're walking out, we see like four or five cops speed into the plaza across the street where there's a bank. And you see each person in succession, their face, their eyes and their brain connect the dots. Six cops are pulling into the bank across the street. He just walks in with four grand cash. This idiot straight walked across the street, robbed the bank in broad daylight, walked back with the cash and just was like, yeah, go get it. Like it was nothing. And we are like, really, bro? Oh, my God. And, you know, he got away with it for the night. Of course, he got caught the next day. But it was like a scene out of a movie where he just quietly left, comes back all erratic with this cash and we mm-hmm. see the cops pulling into the bank and we're all like, oh, my God, you did it. He That's did. Crazy. <laughs> he did. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Like, I, I can only imagine, like, his mental state when he was going in. He probably was just like, I just, just you know, it's what you have to do. Like, yeah. It, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I really do think, too, there gets a point of either total not care of, mm-hmm. like, he was an older. When I say older at the time, I was like 23 and uh, he was probably 50, 55. Mm-hmm. So not like old, old, but he spent 40, 35, 40 years of his life doing hard drugs on the street. Yeah. So to guys like that, and I met these type of guys in prison, they almost don't mm-hmm. care because oh. a three year prison bit is almost a vacation for them. Like, wow. mm-hmm. it's a, I know guys that used to get arrested every November um, intentionally. Oh. So they had five months of somewhere warm to live. So they never wow. be in the streets in the winter. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it's, uh-huh. it's almost like a combination of, I just don't care. Uh-huh. And then some do it as a, uh, a cry for help in the yeah. only way they know how, which uh-huh. is get arrested. Cause then yeah. you get all these resources through the legal system. Unfortunately, you're going to have to do your time or whatever. But mm-hmm. with that being said, you'll get rehab, halfway house, drug court, fill in the blank. Um, and, and they just are almost incapable of like going to a rehab and saying, I need help. So they mm-hmm. do it in a way of by means of criminal activity. Yeah. S- some cases, not all. And it's just sad to see how the system forces people to get into these situations. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause like, like you're saying, like the fact that people have to go into like prison in order to be warm because there's no resources is crazy. Like we yep. should be in this position where, you know, I feel like most drug use comes from like this. I, I think it's like a side effect of life because life in itself is just difficult and everyone has their horrible, you know, problems that they're going through. And I feel like sure. it hits you when you're like, like life hits you even more when you're down. And some people, you know, it's like hard to like, even come up from that, especially if you don't have a family or anything, you know? Yeah. It, it's very overwhelming to come up from that, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about rebuilding like a mm-hmm. dozen things at once. It's like, where do I even start? You know? Yeah. And, and then it's so easy to just get the, the efforts of like, what you're telling me, like, I lost my license. I'm on probation. I owe the government. I, I, but all these things you're like, I, why even mm-hmm. bother? I might as well just use and say, screw it. Yeah, that's, I think that's where like proper teaching, you know, kids young of like coping with stressors and stuff mm-hmm. is very important and mental health and all that. Mm-hmm. So wait, how did you recover from your addiction? Like, what was that process like? Yeah. Like, what so, was like, um, what was oh, like the, the final thing that led you to recovery? Because I know some people like, re- like relapse and things. Yeah. So uh, I do. I, I'm a big 12 step person uh, like you know AA and a programs and they do believe in the rock bottom some people don't um, I do and I think it could be different for everybody it doesn't have to be an a, you know some guy some guys or, or girls or men or women it's five DWIs another person it's just their kids saw them drinking on Thursday at 3 p.m and that was too early and that put them over the edge emotionally so whatever it's different for everybody for me it was so I got arrested and I did three and a half years in New York state prison. Mm-hmm. Um, during that time, I did 12 months and 25 days in solitary confinement, wow. which was the, by far the most traumatic period of anything ever in my life. Brutal. Yeah. Um, I can't even imagine. What was it that like? Solitary is pure insanity. It's just, mm-hmm. You know, I've put up like TikToks and, and Instagram videos about it. And I always get comments from people that are like, I'm an I'm a I'm a loner. I think I'd be all right. Or like, mm-hmm. you know, I spend all my time in my room anyway. And when, I don't mean to be ruined to them, they don't know. But it's like mm-hmm. it's not like that at all. Like if, if you mm-hmm. really wanted to test it out, lock yourself in the bathroom, throw out your phone, throw out the comfortable towels, get rid of everything, and then you know, cut your meals to half. Everything about it is just brutal Um, Mm -hmm. and take away all outside stimuli by like day four or five. Every time Mm -hmm. I was in there was just psychosis beginning because you're just stuck in this little tiny room with five books. And if you're lucky, you get a bunkie sometimes, sometimes not. But that can be its own con because what's a bunkie like like another person in yourself. Oh, okay. 
which I always opted. I've, I've written articles on this. And if mm-hmm. I had to choose, I always wanted one because just to have a human to talk to or yeah. play cards with, even though you got to make your own cards is mm-hmm. a benefit versus you got to watch them go to the bathroom and they, you know, somebody farts, you get, it's in the whole, whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, there was time, you know, plenty of times without one and either way with or without, it's like, you just start to go insane. Mm. Uh, there wasn't a person I saw in there not go insane to some capacity. Wow. You know, mm-hmm. humans are not meant to be locked in a room for alone. four months on end alone with, you know, four books and that's it. And your only contact is a guard who comes by three times a day and puts a tray in your cell. Yeah. You know, so, so that, um, to the original question that, was a big rock bottom for me, but that didn't mm-hmm. stop my use. That actually um, fueled it because oh, okay. I was never as depressed and suicidal in my life as I was in solitary. So when mm-hmm. I got out, it oh. took years to like, you know, some doctors, psychiatrists would say PTSD stuff related to yeah. it. But so I would sit on my bed, like I got released from solitary the first time it was, I did 123 days mm-hmm. and I uh, was sitting on my bed in a new prison and like this half of my brain is like, kill yourself. And this mm-hmm. half of my brain is like, the only thing that's going to make you not kill yourself is getting high. But if you mm-hmm. get high, it's going to send you back to solitary. Cause that's oh. why I went in the first place. Yeah. And I ended up getting high, which sent me right back, uh-huh. but it's this evil cycle. Yeah. Um, I got out. I didn't change anything. I relapsed and I, I got sentenced to um, New York State's like parolee boot camp program, uh, okay. which is like six months shot camp of up at 5 a.m. It's basically based on military boot camp. So the guards oh. are like up in your face, make your bed, you know, get on the floor, give me 50, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, being back in, in uh, the combination of being back in, a couple phone calls with my family and just the whole atmosphere was like a physical mm-hmm. and emotional bottom where the first time in my life I was like, I need to do something different or mm-hmm. I'm going to be dead soon. And I just was willing to try a different way, which for me ended up being 12-step recovery, which I okay. gave a shot when I got out and you know, um, actually committed to. Yeah. And then after you recovered, was there like a huge difference in how your life was, in, you know, before and after, like, what was the major like change that you saw happen? A, a, a ton of them. I, I would say two is a slow process. Um, mm. there's the obvious, like if, if I'm using heroin up to for, just for, for example, uh, the 15th of the month, in the yeah. 16th, I stopped, there's going to be, you know, the 10, 12 day withdrawal, and then you're going to be done. So there's going to mm-hmm. be the obvious physical changes. And then it's going to be some mental stuff that's going to get better. But um, for me, the biggest things were just like, family trusting again, like mm-hmm. being on time, you know, being accountable mom doesn't have to clutch her purse when I'm around, you know, Mm -hmm. grandma can call for a ride, just Mm -hmm. all this, like our son is back, you know, Kyle's back Mm -hmm. where during everything, it was like, 
I was just a tornado of destruction, either emotionally or stealing or physically or what what night are we going to get the phone call that you're either arrested again or, or dead or who knows? Mm-hmm. So it was very good to not have to to disappoint them. But then for me, emotionally, it was not having to juggle a thousand lies. It's such a good feeling to not have to lie. Like I, I've been blessed to get my own house now. My parents live a couple miles away. They come mm-hmm. over. I don't got to hide anything. I don't got to yeah. lie about where I was. I don't got to hide my phone. Mm-hmm. It's the truth. And it's just such yeah. a beautiful feeling. Uh-huh. Um, do you see life differently than before or like during your usage? Like, has it changed your perspective on how, you know, life is? That's a phenomenal question. Absolutely. Uh, I, I was worried before. I always thought like, okay, I'll, I'll get sober for my family because I don't want them to bury me. But mm-hmm. I'll be miserable because how the mm-hmm. hell can I have any fun without drugs and alcohol? Mm-hmm. It has been the total opposite. I've been able to see the shift in life of I wasn't enjoying it then. I thought I was. I was mm-hmm. missing most of it in a blackout or a stupor or hungover or in withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Now I can enjoy it genuinely and genuinely be happy and in sobriety and it's not miserable and it's not lonely and it's not bored mm-hmm. I could pick up my niece I could enjoy nature I could you know be there for family and really mm-hmm. like it, in, enjoy it on a, a level deeper than I ever imagined you know mm-hmm. to me like getting drunk on a Saturday night was enjoying life now mm-hmm. it's like you know having great conversations and going on a, a trip to a state I've never been and seeing, you know, my niece take her first step, but like really mm-hmm. enjoying life. Yeah. And then like having, ex- having like had experienced drugs, like I heard someone say like the brain was never meant to like be that euphoria, you know, experience that type of euphoria. Like, what do you think about that statement? I, I think that's very accurate. I, I'd maybe take hallucinogenics out of that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Just because, and it's not the best thing to say, I don't promote it or condone it, but mm-hmm. like there's a lot of research and things with certain substances like psilocybin and LSD, where mm-hmm. there is like great spiritual awakenings and connections mm-hmm. and even ayahuasca and things. Yeah. Um, but then back to what we were talking about earlier with like meth and Coke, the amount of, of dopamine and and even serotonin released during those hits Mm -hmm. are, you know, magnitudes higher than anything we can get natural. And that's Mm -hmm. why there's this very common thing with, um, with addicts where they find it very hard to experience pleasure for about a year to two years after they get sober. And the reason is when you're getting a crack hit of, for argument's sake, this is an exact a thousand times the dopamine of sex or chocolate or petting Mm -hmm. a puppy. Yeah. Nothing's going to compare to that after. So Mm -hmm. I remember like for months after I got sober, my favorite thing in the world, dogs, it was hard to bring pleasure. Like having sex wasn't Mm -hmm. as pleasurable. All all these things that because you need to give your brain time, it it, you set the bar so high. Mm -hmm. It needs months, sometimes years to you know, balance itself out. Wow. Yeah. Um, so like what advice would you give to like someone, especially like teenagers? Cause my audience is like 18 to 24 ish. 
what would you give to that demographic? Like advice of someone who's like struggling with drugs, you know? Yeah. I would say, um, generic advice to, if I could go back to 18 year old Kyle too, um, anybody minus drugs or alcohol would be, do not stop worrying about what other people think, Mm -hmm. um, be you do what makes you happy. And then more specific to drugs and alcohol would be, Mm -hmm. don't be reach out, uh, Mm -hmm. the simple act of reaching out. uh, Even if it, I, I get messages all the time on TikTok and Instagram, from somebody I've never met, roughly that age group, I'm struggling yeah. with this. Just sharing it takes away some of the pressure and burden. But then when you do, you open up. I firmly believe in like opening up this energy in the universe to allowing help to come. So mm-hmm. reach out. And a lot of times it's not going to be with somebody you're closest with. Mm-hmm. If, if, you know, I wouldn't have, I didn't open up to my parents at that age or my brother or my girlfriend. I opened mm-hmm. up to the random school counselor I knew had a history with addiction, but whatever it worked, yeah, you know, or it helped for that time period. So mm-hmm. reach out to somebody and get it off your chest. And then when they're offering some type of help in return, be open to it, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's so powerful. And I think you highlighted one of like the misconceptions of like, Oh, like drug use where it's like, Oh, you've been with a, like a bad crowd. Oh, you said something about like mental health and how people like want to numb things out. And yeah. as a college student, you see that all the time, you know, the stress yeah. of whatever's going on, people just want to escape. So like in terms of like recovery, like how would you like tell someone who's just using drugs as an escape? Like what would, would you tell them to do instead? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I would say, you know, that's going to be, there's a lot of g- general answers to that question. But there's also very specific per person. And what I mean by that is like how I get my escape now, um, Mm -hmm. you know, exercise is a huge one for me. Um, Taking walks with the dogs, getting out, Mm -hmm. you know, traveling, meditation. But then it's very specific to people, too, where I know some people that like their passion has always been art. Now Mm -hmm. they could just lock themselves in their basement with their their board for an hour and go to town or, you know like finding almost like what is that inner child and what was that thing that you loved Mm -hmm. Um, I know another guy horses he just rides horses he loves horse Mm -hmm. everything horses he was able to connect with that and he just that's how he relieves stress now um Mm -hmm. so I'd say like try to find that and Mm -hmm. and the good part is too the majority of the population is not alcoholic or, or or you know addicts so mm-hmm. they can have that glass of wine or, yeah. you know, an unwind. But I think there's also so many other ways, um, whether somebody classifies as an alcoholic or not, or addict mm-hmm. or not, to release those stressors um, with some of the things we just said, or, you know, martial arts or painting or podcasting, conversation, whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh-huh. anything um, just unwinds for the day. And you're like, oh, I love doing this, your passion. Yeah. And then, okay. So uh, what about like people who are scared about you losing their friends? Cause usually when you take drugs, you're surround, you know, you surround yourself in that community because you don't want to be like yeah. judged or whatever and access. So like, what about people, you know, teenagers who are like, well, what if I lose my friends? Cause sometimes their home life is difficult. And so they find solace and like comfort in their friends and their friends just sure. happen to do drugs. 
the my answer to this question is probably not what many of them want to hear at this time. But mm -hmm. if, if if somebody wants to get change their life, it's going to be hard to change if you continue to surround yourself with the same people. So mm -hmm. I almost view it as you're going to have to choose one or the other. Mm -hmm. You know, I recently spoke with a 15 year old who who's, you know, smoking too much and drinking too much. He wants to mm -hmm. change every time he goes with his friend, very, just like you, the scenario you talked about, he doesn't really like his yeah. home life. So he goes with his friends, but they still do it. And he's like, I just cannot be there while they're doing it and not mm -hmm. do it. Cause I did it for so long with them. Yeah. So it's this battle of if, you know, and I told, at least in my opinion, I told them mm -hmm. if, if, and when you want to be done with mm -hmm. drugs and alcohol, you're going to have to find a new crew, but mm -hmm. I don't think that's, impossible by any means either you mm -hmm. just got to be open and willing to like we talked about find some interest maybe a sports team maybe um chess whatever you're into and start gravitating to those people yeah instead of the ones using and not to say they're bad people or whatever but you hang out in a barbershop long enough you're going to get a haircut so <laughs> yeah. it's going to be hard to sit there with your buddy smoking weed all day and not smoke if you're trying not to smoke. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just oh the, the reality of it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for this conversation. I enjoy sure. talking to you. You're very charismatic and very open. And it was really nice, like getting a different perspective. You know, that was amazing. I Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. And congratulations on the podcast and the 10,000 <laughs> downloads. I, I heard Thank that you. and everything. That's uh, uh, that's awesome. Hope you killed it on the finals. <laughs> Thank you. And then yeah. um, going back to Sober Dogs, like, um, can you like say your website or like how they can contact you personally or anything that, you know, you want to share, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty much Sober Dogs everywhere. Uh, my, the main hub I try to focus on is YouTube. So if you just type in Sober Dogs on YouTube, I come up, but mm -hmm. uh, SoberDogs.com, TikTok, I'm at Sober Dogs. Mm -hmm. uh, Facebook, Instagram, I'm at Sober Dogs too. But mm -hmm. you pretty much just Google Sober Dogs and, you know, all my my things come up. And um, so my cool. emails all over all those too. So you can get in contact with me on any of those or comments and, you know, takes me email. I respond quick. DMs takes a little bit of time, but I'll definitely get back to you. Again, literally, I appreciate this conversation. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. It means a lot. Thank you, Kyle, for being a part of this episode. You are amazing. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It's kind of a little bit different than what we typically do, but I feel like it's just, just so necessary. And sometimes you have to take those breaks and really share these type of stories. So be sure to check out, you know, Sober Dogs, Google it. It's amazing. They're awesome on YouTube. And also check out our merch store. We have some new cool stickers, new cool t-shirts, which are so cool. You can make them into crop tops, which I'm going to do with my friends. Um, I'm just so excited about the path of a podcast and just the opportunity that it gives me to be able to talk to people. Um, this is my favorite thing to do ever. And I hope you guys are as passionate and enjoy the episodes as much as I do making them. Anyway, that brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for breaking curfew with me. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review 9 p.m. curfew on Apple Podcasts and be sure to stick around extra late next week to chase the chaos.